good to be here again. Um, I always feel like I'm coming home when I'm here at Ecclesia. And there's, you can't see it, but we've got a tree in the corner. We've got balloons. And I feel like I've walked into to a party. Good, you can, you can hear me. I've had com- confirmation. So this is the, the second week of our five-week series going through um, the Advent devotional, One True Gift. And I've been going through it myself at home. And I've been finding it really helpful not to have your usual sort of run-of-the-mill cozy Christmas lovey-dovey devotional and as the author Tim says in his introduction you may not be able to change the behavior of your family there may still be arguments fizzing around this Christmas but you can encounter Christ afresh this Christmas in a way that will make you a bearer of peace it's good to hear yeah. <laughs> that will make you a bearer of peace and goodwill. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't um, bought a copy of it, um, we're good to go now with the microphone, we're good to go. If you haven't bought a copy of it, grab a copy or, of the physical book or the Kindle version or the e-book and, and journey through it, this, this Advent. And, and Advent simply means the arrival of a notable person or, or, or thing. And we use this time of year to reflect on the arrival, on the advent, and to reimagine the advent of our King, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I've got the following three chapters to to devotionally exhort, I've been asked to do, and they are born to be God in a manger, born in submission to the Father, and born as a servant. And our passage from Philippians chapter 2, which is the, the part of the Bible that this devotional book takes us through, is verses 6 to 7 who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So before we get into this, let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment. And Father, let this moment not feel like it's routine, like we're, we're just ticking that start of the week, done church on Sunday box. Let this be an encounter with you, Lord, with your word, your precious, precious word, and with your son. Breathe on us anew this Sunday morning with your life-changing, death-defeating spirit. Let our minds be still and our hearts open as we hear from you. And Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So it's been a funny old year this year, and I know that must sound almost cliche now, but it doesn't make it any less true. And this time last year, my team and I, I'm a missionary, if you didn't know, of London City Mission, my team and I were preparing for all the Christmas events at the youth centre. Um, in Dagenham, and I did a quick Google search last night to see what were the news headlines this time last year. And you might remember this time last year, it was election time again. We had three elections in five years, and the headlines were all about Boris Johnson running scared of doing interviews. And in particular, there was, there's this guy called Andrew Neil, who's really tough at asking really tough questions. And so, hence why he was running scared of, of doing an interview with him. And there was also an occasion where he hid in a fridge from a breakfast TV crew because he didn't want to answer tough questions live on breakfast TV. And then over the other side of the pond, the, the, the Democrats were finishing off their impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump. 
and that wasn't successful in getting him out of office, but this year um, he came unstuck and he's, he's going to be out by January, um, according to the rest of the world, not according to him. Closer to home, there was another headline and it read, early flu season threatens to cripple the NHS. And this was a report about how the flu season had come early and was spiralling out of control and spreading fast across the north of England. And there was a shortage of flu vaccine, or, or the flu jab as it's called, and it was leaving thousands of vulnerable young and old people at risk of catching flu and, if it, and it getting worse and potentially than dying from it because they were vulnerable. An outbreak of flu or norovirus could have a serious effect on NHS frontline services, one NHS manager was quoted as saying. And who would have thought 12 months later we would have lived through virtually a whole year of lockdowns, of restrictions, of movement, of masks and half-price government summer meal deals and exams marked by our children's teachers. And that leads us up to this Christmas where the virus apparently is going to call a truce, like the, the British and German troops in at World War I when they stopped fighting on Christmas Day and they celebrated Christmas together. Apparently, Corona is going to just chill out for Christmas so we can all be together. And I'm on the side of the argument where I was happy to, to kind of skip the big Christmas this year and kind of just have whoever is in my household or I can legally have or safely have in my household together. Um, even if it meant having a delayed Christmas, maybe next year we put out the tree and the turkey and stuff and have another Christmas. And don't judge me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a James O'Brien listener on LBC, so if I'm driving in the morning or, or whatever, I'll listen to James O'Brien. And it was really mad to hear some of the people phoning into his show and literally foaming at the mouth, um, defending, oh, Christmas. Got to have Christmas, cannot have Christmas. We've lost so much this year, we can't lose Christmas. And whether you celebrate Christmas or not, there's no running away from that big spectacle that it's become. You know, there's parties, there's office parties, school parties, family parties, reunion parties. There's all the decorations, I say, standing in a room full of balloons. And some people I've noticed nowadays, they've been putting up decorations in November. And I mean, I, I love Christmas and I love a Christmas tree, but I think November is, is a bit too early. It's a bit too much. And you've got the, can the concerts, you've got pantomime if you're into that kind of thing. And that's not to mention the heaving shops and, and the supermarket madness on Christmas Eve with people fighting over the last turkey. But there was a time when there was no Christmas. There was no pantomime, there was no sales, there was no turkey or mince pies, love a mince pie or secret Santas because Jesus hadn't come yet. But the Jewish people of 2,000 years ago knew that God was sending them a Messiah. Before an Israelite was an Israelite, God told our spiritual forefather Abraham that he will bless those who bless him, curse those who curse him, and all people on earth will be blessed through him. And, and in the one true gift, in the first of, of our three chapters for this Sunday, the author outlines the perfect Christmas story precursor. In Matthew chapter 1, we read the angel telling Joseph not to be afraid and that the child that Mary was carrying has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. At verse 22 we read, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And the prophet, of course, was Isaiah. And for those of you that haven't read the chapter in One True Gift that I'm speaking from this morning, and as a reminder for us all, during Isaiah's time, Judah, the northern kingdom, because Israel had been split into two because of some stupid 
infighting. Judah was being invaded by the king. And he then refused to accept Isaiah's invitation to trust the Lord. And so he joined sides with the Assyrians, and, and obviously this didn't go too well, and they quickly turned on him. And Isaiah basically tells King Aziz, uh, as, as has, sorry, bad pronunciation there, basically tells him, cool, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Because basically God didn't need this big family, this big dynasty, of the kings to do what he's going to do. You know, so much that God can and did defy human biology and bring the Messiah, Savior King into the world from a woman who was a virgin. And why will he be called Emmanuel? Simply put, Emmanuel means God is with us. And in our Philippians reading in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul makes the point that Jesus, though he was the form of of God, And in the NLT translation we read, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Jesus gave up his divine privileges, made himself nothing, Paul goes on to say. And like the leader of a, a rich country, um, leaving his position of authority and power and moving to a so-called third world country as a homeless guy or like that Channel 4 show, Undercover Boss or its BBC counterpart, Back to the Floor, where the CEO goes undercover to the shop floor, um, employee, as a, you know, to work with his employees, to experience their organisation from everyday employees' perspective. In this case, the chairman was coming to the shop floor. The creator of the universe was coming to the earth that he created. And not as Alan Sugar. He came in the form of a baby in a manger. In the Christ child, Jesus coming to earth, we have a God coming to dwell amongst his people. And not some far-off, unrelatable, unreachable, lowercase g God. We have a God who knows suffering from a human perspective. His wept tears, his felt fear and shame and mocking and hatred. Had his people snake him out, deny him, betray him. God knows pain. Jesus coming to be born in the manger. In God's great, it's God's great show of his love and commitment to us. The same love that 33 years later would be poured out on the cross. That's the first of our chapters, born to be in a manger. And the second one is born in submission to the Father. And I always like to look at the meaning of a, of a word. And the word submission, according to the Google Dictionary, means the action of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And I mean, who, who likes the sound of that? Who 100% from a human being point of view, from a, from a flesh and bones, man, woman, boy or girl, wants to accept or yield to a superior force or to someone's authority. I mean, even saying it doesn't really fill me with any happiness. But our, our issue with submission is that by nature, we're disobedient. It's in our very being to want to indulge in lawlessness, to rebel, to disagree, to argue. We naturally struggle with authority, with our parents, with teachers, with the law, you know, you've got certain people 
that drive at 80 miles an hour instead of 70 on, on the motorway. I'm not saying I do, but and they know what this legal speed limit is, but they, they, they do it anyway, and there'll be rationale, you know, but everybody else does it. And, it. and some people who drive even faster, that person, he went past me, so he must be doing at least 90 miles an hour, so my 80 miles an hour are cool. But I'm still breaking the law. Anyway, let's move on from that. Our bosses at work, we've all been there, and are there in our own ways. And last week in central London, there was anti-COVID protests and 150 people were arrested and there was placards and, and on the news you saw some of them were, were saying things like, all I want for Christmas is my freedom back. A little play on Mariah Carey's Christmas hit. Ditch the face masks. Stop controlling us. So these people, they have an issue with control and submitting to authority and so they were protesting. But with Jesus' submission, Jesus was born in submission to the Father, to his Father. He wasn't forced into becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, as we read in John chapter 1. Jesus chose to enter this fallen, sinful world, to lay down his life on the cross so that God could save the world through him. Jesus came from heaven. He chose to come down here. And that's a perfect and complete submission to God made by Jesus. And we see that in, in, you know, in him throwing himself under the mercy and, and control and power of a sinful man, Pilate. Jesus stayed silent before Pilate. And, and Pilate said to him, don't you realize I have the power to set you free or to crucify you? So Jesus replied, he did say something. He said, you would never have that power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. My father gave you that power, so don't get it twisted. Despite facing death, despite having every opportunity to plead his case and, and most likely be set free, because Pilate was trying to set Jesus free, Jesus just wasn't fighting his case. No matter what the Pharisees and chief priests were or weren't doing. He didn't want to be set free because he knew his father had planned for him and he had accepted his father's will in total submission to God. In heaven, he was equal to God. He chose to place himself under God's authority while here on earth. In Matthew's gospel, we get the most striking and, 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 and almost this, this vivid picture of perfect submission when Jesus is in the garden the night before he went to the cross. And we get drawn into this picture of Jesus in, in communion with his father. We see Jesus' anguish as he faces the dread and the terror of going to the cross. And Jesus cries out, my father, may this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I want your will to be done here. Not mine, Jesus is saying. Even facing death, certain knows he was born to die. Death on the cross. Jesus submits to the will of his Father, to the will of God, to his Father who art in heaven. And I know this isn't a rosy, cozy Christmas story, but there is no Christmas story without the Easter story. There's no manger without the cross. It's all one story. It's, a, it's God's story and it's a story of a father coming to rescue his children. Born as a servant, our, our third chapter, 
In the second part of our reading from Philippians 2 at verse 7, Paul goes on to say, Jesus, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And in chapter 8, where this is in our devotions, we're presented with this picture of Jesus um, and his last meal with his disciples, what is known as the Last Supper. And the disciples are sitting around this table, eating with their leader, with some or most of them still convinced that he's headed for a throne and not a crown of thorns and a cross. And then after the meal, Jesus leaves the table and starts to wash their feet. I mean, it's a bit like me walking here today from Tottenham to Lewisham, barefoot or with sandals, open sandals on, through mud, and Ephraim greets me. And we eat and we reason, and then he gets up, gets on his knees, and he washes my feet, my size 12 feet. That's soon done, bro, don't worry, that's soon done. You ain't supposed to smile like that, bro. This is just one of the many examples of Jesus' example. This is one, just one of many examples of Jesus demonstrating true servanthood. Not for his gain, but for theirs. Servanthood is about blessing others. And we're left at the end of this chapter with, with two sets of Christians to think about by the author. Those preoccupied with themselves and their desires and, and their status, and those most preoccupied with serving and helping others. And we're asked, who do we feel, who do we see out of those two types of Christian are the happiest? Jesus made himself a slave so that we can be made clean, so that we can be free and back in communion with our Heavenly Father. So how do I wrap this up? What, what does this mean for us? Charles Spurgeon, um, one of the greatest pastors and preachers, wrote, A lack of submission is no new or rare fault of mankind. Ever since the fall, it has been the root of all sin. From the moment when our mother Eve stretched out her hand to pluck the forbidden fruit, and her husband joined her in setting up the human will against God's will, the human race have universally been guilty of a lack of conformity to the will of God. They choose their own way and will not submit their wills. They think their own thoughts and will not submit their understanding. They love their earthly things and will not submit their affections. Man wants to be his own law and his own master. Bars. Submission for Christians isn't a human thing. We can't do it because we feel like it or, or with our own um, knowledge or strength or whatever. We submit to God's authority only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Jesus, we receive his righteousness as our righteousness, as born-again believers with humble and submissive hearts. We have to daily choose to submit ourselves to God and, and his will for the work that transforming, conforming us to the, the image of Christ's work that the Holy Spirit does in us. And God will use the situations in our daily lives to, to give us the opportunity to submit to him. We read in Romans 8, 28 to 29, and we know, for those, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so a few questions for us to ponder um, today. How are we submitting to our Heavenly Father. 
how often, if ever, or how are we studying his word? Are we, are we praying and, and communing with him just as Jesus did? How are we submitting to our first degrees, those, those, those in our everyday closeness, our everyday circles, in our relationships with, with, a, with your, maybe your husband, your wife, your partner, your mother, your father, your siblings, your friends, your colleagues? Submitting to someone doesn't mean that we're weak. Doesn't mean that we're any less than them or, or that we're the loser on, on, in an argument or, or the, the one giving in. It means that we're loving them as Jesus loves us. Despite our faults, our sins, our annoying ways, he loves us. And we must love people. And that love includes submitting to them. Brothers and sisters, how are you submitting to Jesus' bride, his church, locally? If you attend here, your pastors and your elders, your, your brethren, your brothers and sisters here at church, lowercase c church, all about globally, uppercase c church, God's mission team, the body of Christ across the world. How are you submitting to the global movement that God started How are you living out your faith? How are we being a light in this dark world? And that light has little or nothing to do with our culture or our colour or our creed or our ends or, or the football team we support. Pray for Arsenal today, please. It's got nothing to do with anything but Jesus and the good news that he came to die for us all. Let us pray. Praying the words of Paul. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.